Hello, welcome to part two of this special University of Brighton podcast with the University Alliance. I'm Richard Newman, and in this second part, Brighton's Vice Chancellor, Professor Deborah Humphreys, also the Chair of UA, and the Group's Chief Executive Officer, Vanessa Wilson, will talk through what needs to happen to the sector going forward and the part universities will play in the UK's recovery post-COVID. So let's kick off with that early stages, really, since we found out about the roadmap and it comes with a lot of conditions. We have prospective dates. We can look forward with some optimism now, which is really encouraging. And we can look now as well at how universities will come out of this for one and the contributions that unis will make. We'll come to that bit in just a moment. But just want to touch on the state of unis as they are at the moment there is a perception that all universities are cash rich that they don't need any support but like all institutions the sector's been hit hard by the pandemic many were struggling before it and it's obviously been so tough for students to adapt change what to expect from their university experience and what's it been like for unis too deborah yeah at brighton we so we have as with every university, we lost all of our uh, summer income, where we used to let out our accommodation. We lost all of our conferencing income. Um, we have uh, given the students who are in halls of residence a 60% rebate on term three. So there's a huge chunk of income from others. You know, you have to diversify your income sources. There's a huge chunk of income that we lost. It's just gone um, and we've invested in all our covid safe arrangements we've invested in digital kit for students um, we did um, all the distribution of kit rightly so to staff in their own um, homes to give them the kit and the facilities to be able to work from home um, so that's had a real economic impact on the accounts um, I think as as in all things in the in university land, there is a distribution curve. There are some universities who do have considerable savings and we probably could all name them if we, we wouldn't have to try hard to do that. But there are also universities who will will be coming under the scrutiny of the restructuring regime in the DFE. That's not the University of Brighton because we've been incredibly careful and thoughtful about um, uh, uh, the management of our accounts and our finances. I mean, there are students back in March last year when we were doing the work to look at what would be the impact of no international students turning up. You know, a huge chunk of income, and there are universities um, who are hugely dependent on very large numbers of international students, mm -hmm. and those students didn't turn up, or they may have done the first part online and they're still not turning up because now you can't get in essentially uh, so yeah everybody's been impacted differently and we've i think as an institution at brighton we've been incredibly my the finance team are just you know they have risen to this like nobody else could possibly have done that so proud of them and we've got difficult decisions to make in the future but so will everybody What's it like across the UA, Vanessa? Yeah, no, very similar. I mean, I think my, my assessment, uh, we have worked really close with the finance director, so I've seen the figures, the loss of income, and then obviously the expenditure uh, comes to some eye-watering uh, figures. Uh, and certainly we we, uh, we gave an aggregate and, uh, to this department to see uh, the picture. I mean, I, I mean, I think the, 
University Alliance members are in, they, they are well positioned actually for all the reasons that, that Deborah said in terms of we're very well run institutions, um, you know, have been, very, have been careful. It has been a challenge, but um, they have been able to navigate, navigate it through without compromising on uh, the quality of teaching and learning and have been able to make their campuses extremely COVID safe and secure, which is, has come out in the SAGE report and the, and the evidence they found to say that on-campus transmission has been extremely low across the piece. Um, it's interesting, I think um, one of the big issues, and we did highlight this, was you know, the funding of uh, higher education. Um, it's an interesting one because it, you know, there's a lot of cross-subsidisation that happens and has to happen in order to do the things that universities need to do. And as Deborah rightly pointed out, different types of universities will need to do that cross-subsidisation cross through different sources of income. Uh, and, and depending on where that comes from, and because of what COVID has done, it has hit in different places. So if you're highly dependent on your international student income and they didn't come, then it puts you at, um, in, a, in a difficult position. And which is why we saw last summer a bit some sort of, uh, some behaviors within the sector, let's call it like that, uh, which, you know, where that became a threat, the domestic market became prime target. Uh, and we had all that sort of, uh, uh, unconditional offer making. Um, so um, interesting. I mean, our, I don't. We probably were going to go on to this, but I think clearly the the demographics uh, in, the, in, in play play a big part in this. We are at our lowest point in terms of that sort of eighteen to twenty four year old market, and it now moves up. The tick goes up, um, and that that is an opportunity for um, universities to be able to over time plan to settle the books um, and the biggest threat therefore comes from what government does next in terms of policy um, and that might uh, you know that might unsettle things because clearly universities can plan ahead that if they can trust that that you know those students will come um, they can you know they can settle but if the government does anything now and we are expecting um, moves that could really upset things. Um, yeah. And that's where, as a group, lobby group, we need to really fight hard to say don't. So we've had the interim <laughs> interim response yeah. to org. I mean, the, the org has been sitting there for oh, what two years, two three years, mm -hmm. waiting for you know government to reply. And we've had an interim, so you know we're still we're still working in an environment where there's a whole set of assumptions which remain provisional. Until government make a decision, should and in we, terms um, of should, should we at this at this point, Deborah, should we just um, summarise very briefly sort of where we're at in terms of sort of people that maybe don't know about government policy and recommendations and reviews and stuff? Would one of you just like to give a, a very brief state of play as to where we're at and what we're waiting for, just so the people that don't know? Should I, should I go? Yeah. Right. I so, so. so we so we talk Orga. I remember when I started joined um, University Alliance in um, March 2019. Everyone kept talking about it, Orga. I was like, why? Well, who is this Orga? But the official name is um, the Post Education um, uh, Post Education uh, and Funding Review. Uh, and uh, the funding, the F part of this, is probably the most important. And it was commissioned. Um, primarily um, because of this demographic uptick 
So if you look at the graphs of our 18, kind of people coming into the 18th year, um, it, it, it massively rises. Uh, and clearly there's a cost element to that, to which the Treasury clearly have uh, got their eyes on, because you know, there's a cost to government, to the taxpayer of, of funding that. If, depending on what figures you go to, we, you know, let's, let's say we have 50% of our 18 to 24 year olds go to university, which I think is a fantastic thing, um, but it's a, there's a cost. Uh, and it now sits because of um, treasury accounting rules, it sits on the loan, the, the, the debt, uh, the government debt, and they're, they're quite concerned about that. So they commissioned a review, uh, Sir Philip Auger, no, Philip Auger, um, and um, to look at that and look at all aspects of what happens at that point in people's education. Um, and they've looked literally forensically looked at every aspect, um, the costs, the fees, um, you know, courses, uh, the, you know, the types of courses, the length of courses um, and the value, you know, the return to the student, return to the, to the taxpayer uh, and then made a set of recommendations. Uh, and um, some of them we, we I think as a sector, we, we, we applauded. So particularly the investment into further education. Um, but there were other elements that, you know, horrified us um, and they looked at reducing the tuition fee, um, uh, looking at minimum entries to, to university, um, looking at removing the foundation, you know, looking really did um, make some um, quite bold recommendations uh, and particularly looking at what sort of types of courses, whether or not they should be reduced and entries should be reduced, in, particularly around creative arts. So um, there's some things in there um, which were quite concerning. Uh, and the just in the end of January, we got a response from government to some of those, um, uh, some of which they're going to take forward, others potentially not. Uh, and we wait for the, the big money ones uh, for, the, for the spending review, um, which uh, I guess we'll be, I think we'll think it's the autumn that will be announced next week, I guess, with the budget. But um, yeah, the, other, the other thing to balance this as well is because uh, we're, we're, we're talking all about students um, is the one thing that I think everybody really welcomed was the government's commitment to um, research and enterprise. Yeah. So the commitment to 2.4% of GDP, I mean, obviously GDP is reduced a bit. Um, in the short term, but the commitment through UKRI and through again through the U Universities Alliance, we've had some really great conversations with the new um, chief executive of UKRI about uh, where she sees she wants to see research investment and she's absolutely looking beyond the usual suspects, which is great because mm -hmm. against across all our universities, we have you know really great applied research and in terms of economic uh, and social recovery research you know if nothing else the vaccine has proven the extraordinary value of research and the research community to transform our world so i hope coming out of this the government has a, a far stronger i'm sure they will with otterline laser far stronger appreciation of the importance of having that you know research and applied research uh, in our universities so, so my question really from here is, is having listened to, to all that, um, the review was commissioned um, by a former prime minister. Since then, we've had a change of prime minister. So there's going to be change of agendas. Well, the manifesto is going to be different. Then we didn't know whether Brexit was actually going to happen. Brexit has happened. We've left. There's a deal that's been done. It's all sorted uh, and maybe being reopened up again. And then we've got a global pandemic as well. So the world, the landscape in those couple of years 
has completely changed. So maybe I'm sort of wondering what your thoughts are as University Alliance, really, uh, and a lobbying group. What do you do to say to the government all these things in, these re in this review or maybe some of the recommend recommendations that you're taking on boards don't apply maybe to what the world looks like going forward. How, how do, you, do you think that? I don't know where I'm just putting words into your mouth there. Is that something that needs to be considered? Yeah, and it's something, you know, uh, we have really good um, dialogue and channels into government. That's part of our job is to meet regularly with senior officials so the senior official who that is responsible for higher education who then will make recommendations to the minister and the secretary of state who um, has that dialogue with treasury so we meet with them very regularly we have an open door to them at department of education but also in the business department as, as deborah described on for the research side and um yeah i mean all that that conversation is continuously around you know uh, lobbying for um, those aspects of the recommendations which we don't agree with and, and providing the evidence as to why and increasingly why they're not going to work. Uh, for me, it's about destabilizing the sector. What the government needs to do is protect this sector. This sector and uh, the higher education system in, our, you know, in, the, in, in the UK is world leading and, and it's the envy of the world. It will be the driver of that le leveling up agenda, which the government is so kind of um, obsessed with. Um, and, you know, if there's one thing that the sector has proven to, to government is you know we deliver on so many levels from the right at the beginning of the pandemic we've demonstrated that we can get we can keep the show on the road we can educate the future workforce and can keep that doing that but we have helped at the front line we've put our nurses we've put our workforce we found the vaccine we've delivered the vac. you know we are out there we're testing we're we are we are part of the community um and we are the future workforce but you know, uh, the growth um, of this country's prosperity, first and foremost, sits with the universities. When we think about our members, they are those large anchor institutions. They are the lifeline, the lifeblood of those communities. You know, government, if you put at risk that through any policy interventions, the whole apple cart will, will turn over. I mean, you can point to certain areas of the country where the, without the university, there is no community. They, that, Everything that emanates from that, from that, in that community has started with the university. And you can look at aspects of culture, you can look at obviously skills, the workforce, employment, mm. hope and aspiration. It all centers on the university. Um, and you know, at, what I would be saying to officials and to the ministers, do not put that at risk. You know, you should be doing everything you can to protect that and grow it. So don't, you know, do not sort of mess with this because you know you really could have some massive unintended consequences but, but, but vanessa you're 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 um uh you've had enough time working obviously inside government on the other side and certainly i'm thinking about my own experience previously as a civil servant is i my my fear and worry is you know vanessa's position our position is absolutely right we are the engines of growth and innovation and the future workforce and leveling up but if you were a if you were a department that have a certain set of objectives that have been set, then COVID is the moment at which you could potentially, I'm not saying they will, but you could potentially accelerate because it's it's been such an unfreezing event, it's been such a disturbing event in the system. You know, if you were being particularly Machiavellian, you know, you would you would absolutely 
use that moment to to take through change. Uh, so I think we have to be we have to continue absolutely continue to lobby. We have to be really you know this is raw politics. Um, yeah, you're right. And I mean, I have worked and I did work at the Department for Education. Uh, so I know and I still know some of the officials that were there when I was there. I mean, my I have a huge amount of respect for those officials and that and the conversations we have. And actually what COVID has proven uh, is that they do want to work with us um, because they are, they're neutral. They're, they're civil servants, uh, but they do have their political leaders, as, as you as you described Deborah and that's the danger and we have to work with them we have to give them the evidence I mean just going back to the roadmap that really held in the balance they you know there was a very difficult conversation where they said there is a possibility no more students can return because you know uh, the cabinet are not convinced you know uh, uh, that this could this could be a risk we found the evidence my members told gave me the evidence to be able to say um you know we've got the statistics we've got the evidence um and mm. it's it's absolutely critical that these students that are on practical practice-based courses in all years can return and so they they took the evidence they went to camera they fought for us and i was really surprised i mean this is as good as it really could have got in terms of getting yeah. that all, all years back not just final and completing years no that was i, I mean I didn't ever think at any stage that was really on the agenda. So that I mean, you know, all yeah, it was. It was off. It it was off at one point. I mean, it was really hanging in the balance. So we do feel that the officials are on. You know, they want to make it work. And the and the universities minister, you know, she, you know, if we say financially, you're going, it's all going to, you know, fall over. They that that concerns them. That concerns. Yeah. Them. But you're right. I mean, there are forces at work here, in other parts of government, um, that we have to. We can't be complacent, it, and it could just come in left a field, and it does come. It's a money question. They'll be looking at figures uh, and thinking we can't afford this, and we need to tell them, you know, why it, you know, investment into higher education is 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 so important. Well, they're balancing everything. But the fundamental is it's that mindset as we go towards the the CSR, which is this is investment in the nation's future. Every student who goes to university, every piece of research we do is about an investment in the nation. And, and I just, I worry that, you know, it, 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 gets, it gets, gets reduced so quickly to actually it's all a cost. Yeah. You know, there's whole generations of people who went to university who used to get grants, never yeah, paid, paid, oh, you paid to go to university. Me. That's yeah. me, I, I left with, I mean, I, I mean, I'm quite, I quite, you know, um, yeah, I'm internally grateful, but I was I was that privileged group. You know, it was a very small percentage that went to university when I went, yeah. and I and I left without a penny of debt. I mean, you know, that is everything paid for, grant, no tuition fees. But I was of a very small minority that went. Yeah. You know, have, that's not right. I mean, more more of our people going to university and engaging in a university education at whatever age, I think, is a sign of a really thoughtful careful civilized country that wants to invest in its people yeah the most advanced cultures in the world have you know have very high um proportion of the population going to university because it's gonna it's it's gonna play a massive part in the covid recovery isn't it universities in general oh, absolutely just, i mean yeah how, how yeah, i, I mean, think it, how, how could that can't be understated can it 
it can't be understated and, and also you know the world has changed i mean I, I think you know we've been fortunate we've had speakers come to speak to our vice chancellors and our teaching and learning groups who have done a lot of the drilling down into future skills needs and it is quite uh, shocking what you know we have got massive shortages in certain areas um and the technical the technical skill space uh is massive there's estimates of a hundred million new roles by 2025 i mean that's this next kind of graduating cohort you know it is massive and uh the place where you're going to get those um highly skilled areas is, uh, is you know it's our universities I, and i really think i i get a sense that things have really changed out there you know employers won't have those vast training budgets they are do not want to take someone on who they then have to retrain they want job ready graduates that can walk in and hit the ground running and that is what alliance universities do and i think that is one of our strongest values and strongest usps is that we deliver the workforce that hit the ground running whether that's a nurse a paramedic uh, a lawyer a teacher you know and then in terms of the technical space um, which completely blows my mind but they can literally walk it. and those are the areas where there's massive skill shortages and so that is and, you know the irony is we do the research that generates you know we're the generators of the change itself by the knowledge that yeah. we create through research so you know i just think about um you know across the ua but at brighton the team who are working on sort of artificial intelligence advanced manufacturing yeah. carbon hydrogen engines hydrogen fuel you know those things as we build back better to quote um the government and um, uh, take a really really important focus on green because we have to become carbon zero then the demands and the skills that we're going to need for the future are going to be really different yeah the combustion engine there'll still be combustion of various types but you know when we've got hydrogen batteries you know there's impact around the you know rare earth metals that you need for batteries and the like but you know it's a different workforce it's a different set of skills it's a different set of technologies and um they're only going to it seems to me increase i think about it's really interesting in terms of from healthcare the role of suddenly how you get a gp service or a healthcare service is completely different so you know i can email a gp and have an online consultation and you know why would you go to the why would you go to the gp so i mean there, is, there are times obviously when you need to be touched and poked and prodded and all those sorts of things but a lot of them you don't i mean i've always wondered why on earth we do outpatients in hospitals the way we do because other than filling up hospital car parks you know different absolutely different ways of engaging and shaping the delivery of healthcare, which allows individual practitioners to practice really differently so um i think yeah i think there's huge opportunity what we can't do the the the, the really dreadful thing would be not to learn yeah and i think that is one area of the government's um skills wide paper that came out so there's sort of ambition around this kind of virtuous circle that we could and lifelong learning that we all um you know you never stop learning and you know you you whether it's at your local college or your, your local university and you you know you continuously return and this you know the government has made announcements around sort of a flexible modular approach and that's something that as you know uh, members of the university alliance we were used to doing that i mean there was just unfortunately the government kind of changed things made it so difficult um but we've always been positioned to do that. That's our heritage is, you know, enabling the local workforce to upskill, reskill, um, 
that's 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 in our dna uh and that's why we're so it's so important um i mean i i, I think you know in the future uh, i wonder if we'll move much more to a continental model of uh, attending kind of higher education it, it is much more local um because of all you know the issues that covid has has highlighted a lot of our members are predominantly commuter so we have three members that it's over 65 percent of their student cohort commutes uh, i just think um the model will change and you know why be obsessed with this residential model when you can have a much more local fluid um community um which then addresses that leveling up kind of agenda where you know people social mobility has only ever meant you know getting to a certain level and then moving to london that that social mobility in the old world well, that's not really social mobility social mobility is about being able to learn uh, upskill locally stay locally live locally get a job that you know that you know is rewarding and and reinvest locally it all has to happen in that local community um qualifying people students to then move to london is not much social mobility so it's about you know community which covid i think has really highlighted we have community has been the most important that's the bit um that has got us all through this um is community so, yeah. we're running out of time um we could talk about this for a very long time i'm sure and um, deborah just uh just <laughs> just uh, very quickly how has all of this impacted how brighton is looking at its strategy re refresh over the next uh four years so um it's it's ironic really because we had back in uh november 19 taken to the Board of Governors, uh, um, no, November 20, uh, took to the Board of Governors a refresh on our strategy, Practical Wisdom, uh, to set out Brighton 2025. So we've set out uh, um, our, um, oh, I hesitate to say the word roadmap now, I have to find another one. Um, uh, Framework. We've set out our path, sorry? <laughs> Framework? Pathway. To 2025 which is you know interestingly no time at all that's the really scary thing you know how many intakes of students is that so we've set out um uh, in, in some ways it's a refinement and an acceleration of practical wisdom so the you know students at the heart enabling people great space to work and learn research um portfolio it's it's the same it, it's securing our future investing in our future so Brighton 2025 is the path. Um, we're going through a process now of engaging everybody in the conversation. Uh, as ever, as you make change and COVID has accelerated that, it will mean some challenging conversations and some challenging decisions. Um, but that's, uh, that's the nature of leading a university. Um, but we've shown that we can adapt uh we can we can focus and we've done you know we we deliver some brilliant education we do some astonishing research i was talking to one of our hydrogen researchers the other day and it's just it's just amazing absolutely amazing but we must learn from covid you know what does flexible agile working look like in the future what does the use of space and place look like in the future what does the university experience for a student look like um, how do we continue to use the digital technology we can't just suddenly go oh let's turn teams off um, how do we get to carbon zero you know if we were really ambitious we get to carbon zero plus so 
Brighton 2025 is the, is the plan um, and uh, engaging everybody in the work streams um, is going forward and that's what I'm accountable to the Board of Governors for. Mm. Um, and then just finally to, to both of you, what do you want to see the university sector look like over the next few years? Just as a final point. Bit of a broad question, but tell me what you what you both want most. I well, okay, so I've got I, I can't remember how long my term of office is as um the chair of the university's alliance, but I have to say I am so pleased that as a University of Brighton, we're in a mission group because you can't do this stuff on your own. It's a team sport. Um, and it's been brilliant. So I will continue to uh, really put my passion and energy into being chair of the UA and we'll remain members of the UA and I think we have to be strong about our role as professional technical vocational universities and be deeply proud of that. Uh, and just to add to that, um, I, 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 would, I want the sector to be recognised for what it is, which is world, world class and be respected for that. I think, you know, it was asked to um, you know, survive and, and, you know, grow its own income in a sort of marketization. It did that extremely well. Uh, and I think that as a result of that, that's why, despite the challenges, uh, the sector's navigated its way through this and helped government. And I would like it to be recognized and respected uh, for that. Um, I think there's some, there needs to be some changes. I think, you know, uh, in terms of regulation, it's too much. Uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, a huge distraction. Uh, I think in some respects the sector's thwarted in doing what it really can deliver. Um, there's amazing practices that go on as, as Deborah described in terms of the amount of research, the amount of work in the community, the work with business uh, and industry. There is, it's, it's, it's huge uh, and government can learn an awful lot uh, from the sector. So rather than sort of trying to beat it up it should you know work with it to uh, to to really learn because you know investment good investments in the sector can can you know produce amazing uh, results uh, as has been has been shown so you know it's it's a real golden egg so i just my my caution to government we just be really careful don't break the egg because this is the this is the future so be careful what you what you do next and that's that's my job <laughs> to make sure they uh, they don't mess with it deborah vanessa thank you so much for your time i think we could have spoken for a lot longer but you're extremely busy people so i'll let you go thanks again and uh, to our listeners i hope you enjoyed this two-part special and found it informative and interesting thank you again to deborah and vanessa and thanks for listening